0: So today we will be in First Timothy chapter 6, verses one and two. And you need to pray for me as I preach through this message today. It is a very challenging couple of verses. and so I uh, prepared all week and then I went to listen see if I could listen to some of my favorite preachers, preach the text, bunch of chickens. So uh, pray with me. Amen. We'll do this together. If you haven't been with us, we've been going through uh, First Timothy together, and we're learning what it is to be the people of God. We're learning what it means to be the family of God together. And as we did that and we looked through First Timothy, we, we, can't, we come to a point right in the middle, and we'll spend more time talking about this uh, in a couple of weeks We come to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and there is the fulcrum of the scriptures, the fulcrum of this message. And so I'm going to begin there today before we come to 1 Timothy chapter 6 to give us some some understanding of where Paul is going with the church here in Ephesus. Now, as as I read through the scriptures, I want you to remember that um, Paul uh, is has already written a letter to this church at Ephesus. And so we have the book of Ephesians, right? And so that book predates this one. And he is now writing 1 Timothy to this young minister who he has placed at the church of Ephesus to lead this, this big congregation and to raise up this part of the world even. And so as he's doing this, you need to know that like, Paul loves this church. He writes uh, the book of Ephesians already. He's writing 1 Timothy. We know there's 2 Timothy. As we read through this, you can can piece together these aren't the only letters. Like, he loves this church. And so he is giving special attention to the book, I mean, to the, the people at Ephesus. And I want you to be encouraged today, he's giving special attention to you and me. Isn't that nice? Because we are greatly loved, not by Paul exactly, but I'm sure he loved us. But we are greatly loved by our Lord. And so he wants to show us the way. The mystery of godliness, chapter 3, verse verse 14. He says this, I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these, these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory, period. Period. That's it. That's the mystery of godliness. But that, that idea of mis- that phrase, mystery of godliness, what does that mean? You, you can think about it like this the word mystery is the word for a revealed secret. So it's not a secret that's no longer known, but it's, it is a mystery that has been expressed, it's been shown. So you know what the answer to the mystery is. It is a revealed secret. And it is for the purpose of godliness. So this mystery has an outcome in the people who understand the mystery. The one who get the secret, their lives then should be that of godliness. And so the revealed secret provides in us godliness. It produces in us godliness. To those who claim and hold on to this secret this revealed secret, now we have godly lives. It, it's not normal kind of thinking for us. But that's what, what Paul is saying here to beloved Timothy. I want you to preach and teach the mystery of godliness. In fact, this little, you see how it's, how it's written in your Bible, that, that it's kind of squunched together? Because this was a saying, a song, or a, a hymn. It was something that was repeated over and over again. They continue to share this message with each other over and over and over again. And so when you come to Redeemer, you should be hearing regularly this same kind of idea, a promise every week that you're going to hear about Jesus who has died for us and been resurrected. In fact, we celebrate every Sunday the remembrance of what Christ has done for us because we're to continue to preach the gospel over and over again, not because you aren't smart enough to catch it the first time, but our heads are full of rocks, amen? And we need softened hearts, and we need to remind each other. And so what we have done in the church oftentimes, we have thought that preaching the gospel is for the purpose of evangelism, that we preach the gospel to people so they might become saved. But you see, preaching the gospel is something that we do to the lost, but it's what we do to each other every day. You see, that becomes our message to each other. Hey, brother, hey, sister, don't forget the mystery of godliness. That Jesus loves you and me so much that he would die on the cross for us, that he would be resurrected for us, that we might be at peace with him, that we might have power for living this godly life. Don't forget that, brother and sister. Don't forget what you're called for. Don't forget what God died for on the cross for you. Don't forget And so the preaching of the gospel is for evangelism, but it's also for discipleship. And the disciples then preach to the lost this message of godliness, this this mystery revealed. We get to tell people, you know what? You know why your, your life is in such shambles? Let me tell you that Jesus Christ came for you, and he loves you, and he has done everything on your behalf that you might be at peace with God and that your life might be full Won't you turn to him? Won't you receive the forgiveness of sins? The mystery of godliness. And so he's saying, if you're going to be the household of God, you've got to know the mystery of godliness. And you need to apply it to every part of your life. And so that's why we come together on Sunday mornings, and that's why we come together during the week more and more as we, we, we spend time together and we're preaching this gospel. And you're saying, well, I've got a problem with my marriage. We say, let me, let me preach to you this gospel, this, this mystery of godliness that he is going to break in and he's going to do something. Are you submitted to this mystery of godliness? Are you submitted to Christ? Can you live out what he is calling us to? And so that is, the, that is the, the fulcrum of this message. This is in which all of this rests. And then he, he, he speaks in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and he says these words. Listen here. He says, now, to a specific group of people who were in the church, let all who under a yoke as bondservants, in other translations it will say as slaves, regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Now you understand why well, I couldn't get a sermon on this one. As we've been talking uh, th- throughout uh, this series, we've talked about the family of God and the family of crests and those things that belong on the crest, these, these emblems of the family of God, what they should look like. What does godliness look like among his people? And we've talked about humility and peace. Over the last couple of weeks, uh, Justin has preached over this idea that, that there should be a care for those who are most vulnerable. The powerless should receive a certain kind of care. We should have our eyes open, our hands open to those who are vulnerable in our, among us. And that those who are in power should recognize the weakness and respond faithfully. Conversely, for those who are in power, there is accountability, that those who are in power should be checked as well. And we see this in the qualifications for deacons and for, for elders. Those who have responsibility in the church, they too should be checked. They should not, should not have freedom to do whatever, but they have a responsibility to the people of God. They have responsibility to live faithfully as the people of God in their power. Now, here comes something crazy, because... If you listen to the qualifications for widows, there may be something that sticks out in your head a little bit. We're all widows to be taken care of? No. You cruel people. (laughs) Cruel you are. truly. Truly. Now, wait a minute. Our natural inclination would be they're widows. Widows is, especially in the ancient world, and even today was like the lowest form uh, uh, of life. You had no one to care for you if you were a widow. You're, the, the, the breadwinner in the home wasn't there. Your place. Remember, the book of Ruth is all about this, right? The, the loss of the husband sent the family into great jeopardy. And so you see here that he says, now, you're supposed to take care of a specific kind of widow. Not all of them. And so, you know, I, I, kind of my gift is the gift of mercy. I'm like, well, that's kind of mean, Paul. <laughs> is there enough money in the till? Or what's, what's going on here? Why can't we take it to people? Yeah, yeah. But what Paul is saying, and he echoes what we see in the Old Testament, is that when you judge, you should not be partial. You should not be partial to the rich nor should you be partial to the poor. That the rich, you you may be partial to because you want to win their favor. They could do something to you. The poor, you got to be careful not to be partial to and, and, and favor them others because you feel sorry. He said, now, hold on. Everyone has a responsibility in the family of God. Whether you be the richest person in the church or you be the poorest person in the church. You have a responsibility to God to be faithful within the body. So for those who are widows, widows have a certain responsibility when no one else is there to provide for them, to live a faithful life. To be serving in the family of God. To be praying, to be to washing feet, to, to care for those around them. And you know what, we have people in our church like that. Truly widows. Truly widows. And so just because you are either of low position or a great position does not mean that you are not to serve, that there is some reason why you are disqualified because of your position. Rather, you should be serving. You should be faithful. You should be claiming the mystery of godliness in your life no matter what place you are in the life of the church. Now, as I read through that, maybe maybe you're like me. I was like, that seems a little hard, right? In verses 1 and 2, when, when he says, now, now slaves, obey your masters. And you're kind of like, come on, Paul. Why don't you say, like, let them, let them go, stand up, you know, freedom. Right? Amen? Does anybody feel like that? Was it just me? Then you kind of go, hmm, can we even preach this in our day? Can we say these things? It, does it implicate us as those who are in some ways, Uh, supportive of slavery. I want to tell you, Paul was not supportive of slavery. And I I do want to give you a little context for the kind of slavery, the kind of life that that Paul was living, the context. Because this this is written to a people in a certain time and place. And our situation is different, but it is is still, uh, it, it is important for us today to hear these words. So, in the time of Paul, slavery was rampant. About a third of all of Rome were slaves. And the slaves are made up mainly of conquered peoples. They were conquered peoples from all over the vast empire that that Rome had had been conquering. The, The slaves were those who were defeated in battle, that was the majority of the slaves. The next group were those who were in debt. They sold themselves into slavery because they could not pay their, de- de- their debts. Then, also the, for a crime. Uh, and then there was another group that were kidnapped for economic purposes. And so, Paul addresses that group specifically in the first part of this letter when he gives a list of all the worst kinds of people. And he says that that, that that is not to be in part of the life of the church, not to be part of the kingdom of God. That list includes people who murder their parents. This is a pretty severe group. Slave traders is one of those. And so although Paul in verses 1 and 2 is not saying liberate, abolish slavery, Paul is aware that slavery is an evil. He also suggests that if you are a slave and you can get free, get free. And mostly, uh, and slaves, as opposed to American or European slavery or a- a- Arabian slavery, this kind of slavery had an expiration date on it. So you, you, didn't, you weren't a slave indefinitely. It was not focused on one group of people. It wasn't completely uh, uh, known by stealing of other people. It was horrible. Slavery, only of another person is clearly wrong. And when Paul is speaking here, he, he is not for slavery. In the book of Philemon, if you remember, he encourages the, this, the slave, the runaway slave who's been caring for him to go back and there for, for his, the person who is his master to receive him as a brother, which would have messed everybody up to treat him like a brother, which would probably mean his, his freedom. But as Paul is saying this, he is recognizing the status of people in the church. You see, when he's writing this, it's not like our kind of slavery where the, the, this horrible separation of people according to race because they've been stolen from another place and treated and abused. It's not that kind. He, he has a whole congregation that is of free and slave of noble and savage of barbarians, of men and women, he says, all of you are a part of this kingdom of God. And where you find yourself today, you need to live out the mystery of godliness. And so if you if you are in a household and you find yourself right now in this situation as a slave, I, I don't want you to be mistaken and think because you were in that situation, you can do whatever you want to do. Because an injustice has been done to you. No, no. The mystery of godliness says you are not defined by the fact that you're a slave. You are not defined by what the world wants to define you as. You are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ who died for you. And you are significant. And I don't want you to think because you are in low conditions, even though injustices are against you, You have a responsibility to be faithful and to shine your light brightly where you are. You have value. You see, this is is not our time. Our our culture is not like this. But when Paul is saying that you have a choice, he says that both in the book of Ephesians earlier that he's written, and now he's saying in this book now, he said, You have a choice. Wives, you have a choice. Slaves, you have a choice. You can, you can be faithful to God. You can serve not that master, but you can serve the heavenly father. And so in doing so, you will bless those. Apparently, I mean, he's talking about real people. He knows their stories. And as he's saying, you know, apparently there's some among you who have other, your masters are those who uh, are Christians as well. And you say, well, they should cut me a break. And so you're not working. no. No. That's not the way to go. Just because there's injustice, you become become lazy. Uh, You've you've decided to, uh, to fight against or ignore them. Don't do that. You have a responsibility to bless them so that you would be able to bless the entire household. Whoa. Slaves were to live honorably. And not to be an offense to the mystery of godliness. Rather to be an expression of it. To do the extraordinary. To do the extraordinary. Wherever wherever you find yourself in life, he is calling you to do the extraordinary. That's the mystery of the gospel. Of godliness. Godliness. Some of, y- some of y'all heard of this one of my favorite people in the world Marshall flowers some of y'all heard this story before there was, was a guy who uh, was chronically homeless and he came to our church and uh, he was he both was here in Brenham and oftentimes at Mission Waco and I had heard a story and it took me later till I put the two and two together when I was at Mission Waco I heard about this man named Marshall flowers and at Mission Waco, they host groups of people, and for the weekend, they take on the life of poverty. And so they get to experience all the things of poverty, and, and they sleep outside some of them. You have to go around and find food, and and it is an eye-opening experience for a person who comes from a middle-income family uh, to, to be on the streets and to rely on other people and the dangers that are there and, and the, the challenges. That, and so... Some of these young people, college students, just like I did, were going through the streets and they were, they were looking for food for the weekend and they run into Marshall Flowers. And Mark, Marshall Flowers was not too proud to do dumpster diving. He flew a sign. Marshall Flowers also couldn't write. So I was like, Marshall, what, what do you put on your signs so people know to give you something? He said, nothing. They get the idea. And so... Marshall met with these folks, and he knew what they were doing because he knew about Mission Waco. And he said, are you guys hungry? And they said, yeah, we're hungry. He says, okay, stay here. I'm, I'll be back in about 30 minutes. And so he goes, and he sells his blood and gets the money from the plasma. And he comes back, and he gives it to him. He says, go get something to eat. Whoa. These rich Baylor kids, right, are like, what just happened? Now, I'll tell you what happened. It's called the mystery of godliness. That God does in us the extraordinary. And oftentimes, it's in the backdrop of our poverty in which he does it. The book of James is saying that all the time, isn't it? Don't you know that God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith? Have you heard that before? The Luke version of the Beatitudes says, Blessed are the poor poor not poor in spirit, the poor because from that backdrop God does the extraordinary. And so in our weakness he is made strong. Ephesians 1 was just read a few minutes ago um, Roy read about that we have spiritual blessings, all the spiritual blessings, we need are reserved for us in the heavenlies, that he has prepared them, that we might receive them and live them out. What does that require of us? It means that you and I need to preach to each other over and over and over the mystery of godliness. That all of this matters, that we are somebody in Christ Jesus that he has called us to be his people and to express this kingdom wherever we go in extraordinary kind of ways that you can expect from the people of God, whether they are great or whether they are low, they are going to love you because they have been first loved, that they are going to, to work through their salvation in such a way that they would be people of peace, that they would be people of forgiveness, that they would be people of, Of grace, they would live out this mystery of godliness. James 2.1 says, Not to show partiality. Don't, Don't bring in, don't have the rich people come in and say, Okay, you sit at this really nice seat, and then someone who's poor come in, you say, We're full. Or you say to the poor person, you need to move back because so-and-so is here, right? Show no partiality. Why? Because those who come from that situation have an opportunity for even greater faith. And against their backdrop of poverty, the extraordinary is even easier to see. So church, I want you to know that as we have more and more people come into our church who come from humble backgrounds, You should see them and say, ooh, I bet you there's a story there. I can't wait to see. And we'll preach the gospel to each other over and over again. And and we will watch God do the extraordinary among us. Not because we're great. No, because we're terrible. (laughs) Our heads are full of rocks and our hearts are, are hard. But we serve a God who has come to save us, and he does great things with us at our expense and for his glory. Let's continue that preaching, amen? No matter where you are. Now, if you read a few verses further, four and following, you're going to see that he's going to talk to a different group of people on the other end of the spectrum. We're going to skip over that. We'll return, we preached about it before, it's awesome, we should return, we'll be returning to it as well, but if you want to hear a sermon on that, we're going to post that on our, in our newsletter, Uh, there's a, Tim Keller has a great message on those verses, he does a much better job than I would do anyway, so, so you want to listen to him, he skipped verses one and two though, by the way, just want to say. Uh, but listen listen to uh, Tim Keller. Uh, there'll be an opportunity there. I think you'll really enjoy that message as well as it speaks to um, the, the greater, the need for contentment among those who are the upward and progressive. Uh, it be a blessing to you. Lord God, we just thank you for your word today to us. Lord, on the outset, it seemed kind of difficult, but Lord, is good for our soul. We thank you for this mystery of godliness. And we ask that you would work it out in our lives for the joy of all people and to the glory of your name. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.